Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, England have lost the ODI series with South Africa and have now lost five consecutive ODIs for the first time since 2014, after which Owen Morgan revolutionised the team, of course, and we'll ask if uh, England should be worried ahead of this year's World Cup. And we'll hear from Captain Joss Butler and Vice-Captain Moeen Ali. We'll also hear from an emotional Jason Roy after he returned to form with a brilliant 100 in the first ODI and England fast bowler Joffrey Archer reflects on his return to international cricket for the first time in 22 months. We'll also discuss what this series means for the hosts, South Africa, as they continue their battle to automatically qualify for the World Cup in India later this year and we'll end the show by looking at the week's other stories as the ECB allow Alex Hales to play franchise cricket over international cricket and white ball coach Matthew Mott leaves the door open for Ben Stokes to unretire from ODI cricket. So plenty to come over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. So, Hami, um, I was very surprised that South Africa won the first uh, two ODIs. I thought England would be all over them, even though uh, it's an unsettled England team. Uh, I thought South Africa would be a lot more unsettled. Quite remarkable. Two fabulous games of cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the games have been... The games have more or less mirrored themselves. It's just the, the, the final throws. You can't say it's a team that won at most because I think England were, were desperate to win. But just shows you when there's something to play for and the pressure's on and you need to you need to win, uh, you you find a way. And I think that would be a refreshing thing from a, a South African fan. Uh, when you look at the first game, England were always ahead of the run rate. Didn't see that being too much of a problem until the last probably 10 overs when they literally just capitulated. And then South Africa in the second game were always just that little bit ahead of the run rate. A fantastic games from Temba Bavuma. Um, but this time they had Aidan Markham and, and David Miller who made sure that they weren't going to make the mistake that England made in the first game. Some good things from England, some positive things. No, you want to go into any tournament with momentum and winning and stuff like that. England have lost five in a, five in a row now. But when you look at the group, the players that are going to go to India, the ones that are probably going to India who are in this squad, for me, are getting some... Some exposure, some good exposure. Sam Curran's getting to bat seven. Um, he batted eight in the, in the second game. He's getting to bat in pressurised situations. He is going to be in India, getting to bowl in some pressurised situations. So, and, and as well as that, the desperation for England fans to see Jason Roy succeed at the top of the order was there to see in the first game because I thought he was magnificent in the first game. I thought his balance and his 
shot selection, um, his timing, everything was there in, in game one. So there are some positive signs along with obviously two games, which will be disappointing if you're Matthew Mott and Joss Butler because England were in positions to win both of them games and a ruthless England of the past would have won. When we spoke to Joss Butler um, after the second game and put it to him that uh, it was now five consecutive ODI losses, the look in his eyes, I mean, his words were um, very honest. Um, and he said, yeah, OK, it's disappointing. But the, the look in his eyes told us, are you really counting those three games against Australia two days after we won the T20 World Cup? I mean, he did, you know, and he said, look, yeah, we would have liked to have won them. But basically he was saying, I'm not counting those three yeah, I, I'm not counting them either. Stats, stats can be misleading sometimes. And when you say England have lost three, uh, sorry, the last five ODIs, I only count two because that was a Mickey Mouse trip. It was a, it should have been with under on that trip. So I don't recognise them three ODIs as much as Australia would want to. That was just for fulfilling fixtures. You could argue these three are, from an England point of view, fulfilling fixtures as well. But you could also... You could also have the worry that if we start playing down defeats and say we are just fulfilling fixtures, ready to get to the World Cup. I know Ben Stokes had a, a little pop at somebody on social media and, and asked about why England have lost as many games as they have recently. And he, he said it started with S and I think ended with E. Even my 10 GCSE absent can understand what that is. And I get that, the schedule. And I do get that, but I also get the fact that this is still played for England. These are meaningful games. And unfortunately, with the franchise cricket around the world at this minute in time, the one consequence seems to be 50 over the cricket. So if England just fulfill fixtures, there's going to be a fine balance at a tipping point when you have to switch back on to tournament mode. And if you are making mistakes, if you are bringing bad habits into the group. And if you are not performing as well as you'd like, as good a cricketers that these guys are, switching it on and switching it off is not as easy as just turning the knob on a tap. So from that point of view, I still think England have to, have to find a way of winning games, even with a team which has not got all their superstars. Tell you what was fascinating is that in the first two games, um, Josh Butler has seemed to have two gears, second and fifth. And he never got out of second in the first game. And he went straight from second to fifth in the third game. And it was it was really interesting. It looked like he lacked rhythm. And he actually confirmed that afterwards. This is what he said after the second game. You know, even myself, I've, I've played a lot of 50 over cricket. I, I feel sort of not quite used to the rhythm of the game um, and sort of working out when I... Um, I am looking back now, but sort of before that, say 2019 the volume of fixtures was huge but I think probably the World Cup finals might have been my 140th game around about there um, so having only played 20 matches in in the next three and a half years I, you know, even an experienced player like myself trying to sort of remember the rhythm maybe of 50 over cricket so but you know, as I said can't really use that as excuses we've got to move with the times the schedules and, and stuff are how they are and yeah, we just need to play a little bit better. Um, as yeah, as much as you can try and look into, and obviously you've got to ask why. But um, you know, I think that's that's the crux of it. It's Josh Butler um, just confirming what was obvious to all of, all of us. Um, you know, he, he just he he's been playing so much T Twenty cricket when you start in fifth gear and, and then move to sixth. Uh, it's really interesting. Um, he just and it was a rhythm thing. You know, he just seemed to be struggling with the gears, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Um, and it's, I wouldn't say it's always been that way for, for Joss, but I think the, the transition from 20 over cricket to 50 over cricket, which these guys have been playing quite a bit in a short space of time, in the obviously in the, the SA20, but it's something that they've always found a way of, of doing. And I just wonder the messaging around the group and messaging around this ODI team that. Some of their big guns don't want to play 50 over cricket. Some of their big guns feel as though the scheduling is working against them. And if some of their big guns decide that we'll only play and turn up in tournament cricket, then I think we've got a bit of an issue. 
because it just seems like a flock of sheep. And if your big big players are not always not always on it, they're not giving the right body language off, not giving the right message off, then that filters down to the younger players trying to trying to get a foothold in the door because that's what they need to do, and then this is how they need to perform. And and if if the messaging from you know the the, the more senior players is that everything's doom and gloom because of schedules not not being looked after him. These are meaningless games, i.e. Australia. You know, there's one or two now comments coming out when Char, they're not bothered about these games. That, for me, can, there's, a, there's a tipping point in that, in a balance in that. And I think sometimes that, that shows in performance that the, the carefree attitude is one thing when you are positive. But if the carefree attitude is negative, then that can have a detriment to the more the younger players in the group who are trying to show and prove that they belong at this level. So there's a dangerous tipping point in that. I'm not accusing Joss of that, not for one minute. There's one or two probably higher up on the list than, than just Joss Butler. But if you are constantly making mention in the dressing room that this is, you know, we just want to be playing 2020 cricket, you know, we are here for a week, we're going back to 2020 cricket very, very soon, then... I'm not sure that's the right message to give off. Okay. Um, Vice Captain Moen Ali made another point, a different point, um, in talking about um, the difficulties of, of not having the full-strength squad available for these games. I hate going on about the schedule, but it's difficult because if, when Ruti's not here, who's probably your best one-day player in terms of stats and all that kind of stuff, he hasn't played for a while. And obviously we've got a couple of injuries. Woody's not here. Who'd be, imagine if we get Joff, Woody and... You know, Toppers and Wokesy and these guys playing regular all the time together. I think it's a proper side again. And I'm not saying we're not, but I think it's also very difficult to play a string of games together when the guys are not here. But again, it gives good opportunity to, opportunities to everybody else. But I don't think we're in a position before we went from 20, 2015 where we were terrible to obviously building and and. It was all about handing the pressure in the end. I don't think we're in that. I think when we come there, it's only about the pressure and, and just doing what we know is best and uh, we've got a lot more experience in to deal with dealing with that. It's Mo Ali talking about uh, a very different uh, looking England team if everybody was available but the players can't have it both ways can they? I mean Joe Root is playing T20 cricket franchise cricket in, in the UAE England very very much missed him I think in the first two ODIs here so and I understand that. I get that I mean I, I was in favour we both were we said yeah let let Joe play T20 cricket. That's that's fine. He wants to make a a point in in that format of the game. Yeah, and 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 Mark Wood's not here, and, and various other players are not here. But as I said, I'm not sure that all of the players want to play all of the games as a full strength squad all of the time. Do they? No, I don't think. I, I don't think the schedule works for for everybody to do that. Joe Root to fly from Dubai to South Africa to play three. ODIs to then fly to New Zealand to play two test matches and with the experience that Joe's got he doesn't need to do it but he but they've also got to look at further down the line Joe hasn't played a lot of 50 over cricket in, in recent times so if you want to build your squad around for the World Cup then it's a fine balance it really is a fine balance the thing for me is not so much who's not played about who is playing. And that person that is playing has got to see these games or play these games with, especially the senior players, the most enthusiastic um, way and the best level of performance they possibly can and have the biggest, the biggest and the best mindset they possibly can. And you hear comments about 50, not wanting to play 50 over cricket, not having a full strength side. For me, it comes down to individuals performing the best they possibly can. With a mindset of high level, I'm not sure that these last five games have been played like that. I understand the three in Australia, fully understand. But just noises that are coming out of the group, you just go, hold on. Are we using this 50-over schedule, this 50-over stuff as an excuse to just fulfil a fixture? That, for me, then brings bad habits into into, into, your, into your performance. And I think that's what... We have had, you know, that we haven't been as match sharp. And I think that's why we haven't gotten over the line in the last two games. 
And they can say, schedule as much as you want. For me, the minute you cross the line, you go into the game and you play for England, you've got to be right on it. And if you're not, you'll get beat. And I think that's what's happened in this last two games. And I don't think that is uh, intentional. I just think that's maybe a subconscious way that the dressing room, some of the senior players in the dressing room might be making mess, having their messages is not as positive as what it probably should be. I agree. Um, being on the ground, I think England have lacked uh, a little bit of intensity, but I must say I'm not concerned about them. I think rather like Jason Roy built up a huge bank of uh, credit and interest, I think the England team has um, got a lot of interest in the bank. So I I, I think there have been mu- far more positive things than, than negative things. Anyway, a reminder that we'll bring you live and exclusive ball-by-ball ball commentary of the third ODI between South Africa and England from Kimberley, the Diamond Oval. Uh, we'll be on air at 10.30am ahead of the first ball at 11. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with uh, me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. Jason Roy, well, well, well. We have spoken about him probably as much, uh, or about him as much as anybody else over the last year, Harmy. Pretty emotional stuff, wasn't it, watching him uh, come good with that 100? And it, do you know what? It was his 11th 100 and third fastest. You've been saying that it, he wants to take his time and, and grind his way into a bit of form, and uh, but it's just smashed a hundred off 79 balls. He did, he bad beautifully, and I thought he did take his time. I thought at the start, I thought South Africa bowled beautifully for Jason Roy to get off to a good start. Two or three legs done powerful. He's Ricky Arthur on commentary was was berating, and, and rightly so, the, the the disciplines of Wayne Parnell and Gagisa Rabada. The first five or six scoring shots that England had, Milan and, and Roy, were all on the leg side, all from balls that were going down the leg side. So when you get a, when you get off to a start like that and you're given a few freebies, then you can ease into it. And I thought Jason Roy did that. But his interception points, even though there were, I think Jared gave us, gave us a stat to say his interception points were further out than they were last year. But it was like everything was hitting it. Well, last year he was going at it with his hands, no feet, and his head was facing. His head was going over towards back of point. This time he looked as though he was in so much control of his body movements and where he was going forward and back, and his hands coming through the line of the ball with yeah, head in a fantastic position. I thought it was a, it was a Jason Roy of old, and it was it was great to see. And he got through the gears. Mentioned about Josh Butler going through from second to fifth. I thought he went through the gears beautifully and. When he went into destruction mode in the sort of latter part towards the hundred, that was what we want to see from Jason Roy, and and that's what Jason Roy wants to see for himself as well. So I was pleased that he got the hundred. Pleased that he started this cycle, this calendar year off with with runs, and and fingers crossed that will give him confidence going forward because England need Jason Roy, the top of the order in fifty over cricket. Because he gets England off to a, a, a always gets England off to a positive start in the power play, and if he bats the power play, England are always in a great position. So it was good to see. I thought Milan batted well with him, um, and I thought England batted well as a as a unit. We spoke to Jason uh, the morning after that century, and I must say he looked absolutely shattered. Um, rather than having a good night's sleep, he did admit that uh, there were so many emotions coursing through his body that. He actually had only had uh, four or five hours sleep. Anyway, this is what this was. Jason Roy the morning after. I got back from there and I was I was just I all of a sudden hit some sort of whatever it was, whatever it might be. Pulled out of the IPL just because I needed to work on a lot of things in my head. And then from then on in, a couple of months in, I, I started being happier as a person. My cricket wasn't doing well, but I was a happier person. So I didn't really give a about my cricket to be honest because I was a happier guy and I was I was better around. But then cricket started, kept going badly, and then got the phone call, and the 100 happened, and then that was a disaster. And then got dropped from the, the World Cup squad, lost my central contract, got put in an incremental contract, all these things, and it's just like an absolute, it was just like an avalanche of things happening over and over again. And I was just kind of, you start doubting yourself as, as a player, you start then thinking people have forgotten about you, even though you've played a huge amount of cricket. You start doubting yourself as a guy. You start being a bit, like, reserved, which is just not me, <laughs> as you all know. Um, 
and then yeah so mate to then come out and put that in a like I said at the start in a closet and just lock it away and and kind of play the way I played yesterday was was I'm really proud of myself that's Jason Roy um, talking after his uh, just his second hundred since the 2019 World Cup. He held nothing uh, back at all, Harmy. He just completely, totally honest. I think that maybe the lack of sleep meant that uh, all the barriers were down. Um, he can be, I suppose he can be a bit prickly at times um, during some interviews, but um, not at all this time. I mean, just talking about everything, problems on and off the field. Yeah, and uh, that's what happens. I think when you care as much as what Jason does and you are somebody who, the way he, for me, the way he, he plays the game, it looks as though he's a little bit carefree. Looks as though it's a little bit, because of the nature of his role where he can get out very, very cheaply, he can look as though he's playing a poor shot when he's trying to make England, or get England ahead of the run rate getting in the head of the game all the time. If you know Jason and you see him the way he is as a person, he does care about what he's trying to do, the intensity that he shows. You just see that in the way he grips his back. He's very sort of in, intense when he's in the moment. Not when he's not when he's playing his cricket, but when he's in the moment of the ball coming to him versus ball, you can see there's an intensity in there. And I think what's gone on in the last 12 to 18 months that's got to ref- that would have affected any human being. So getting the hundred, the emotion of that, I'm sure it all came out in that press conference afterwards. And I'm sure when he got back to his room, where whether he had a beer and a glass of wine or whatever, I'm sure a reflection and when he's on his, when he was on his own of how difficult it's been for the last eighteen months. And hopefully he will will thrive off the fact that he's got a hundred at the start of the year and move forward with that, especially positive. Uh, Maverick players do if they can get off to a good start and get on a roll in in a, in a series or in a in a year, then they never look back. And, and fingers crossed for England. That's what happens with Jason now. One of his quickest answers came when I asked him when I said to him, "Does one game change everything?" And he was he we didn't snap back, but emphatically said, "No, no, it does not." You know, it, it was almost like the hard work begins now. But he's coming from a very low point, Harmy, really. I mean, I, I know that great player. I mean, great player that he is. He, I don't know. I mean, it's almost like he had the yips, isn't it? Yeah, and the, the, the love it was down to, you say one game doesn't change anything, but I think it depends on how that game is conducted and how you perform in that game. I love that Jason's balance and he's, he's all-round game. He's, I actually think do think one game change has changed, will change everything because... If he had again eighty odd and yeah, nicked a few through third man and took one off his legs because he's leaning over, then you'd think, oh, hold on, there's still issues here. You know, the roller skates are still on, the hands are still playing away from the body. But when I, when you watch it, I was like, wow, the, he has worked, not worked hard on his game because he always does, but he has had a a little bit of probably thought about where his head is going, and that is something that he has changed because his head now. Very, very still, and if anything, it goes to the ball as it goes away from the ball. I think that is what he's probably been working on the most, and that was probably the most satisfying for him when he when he reflects on that hundred, is that his head was in such a great place that one game might just change everything, because if that head stays in that position for the foreseeable future, them hands will always come through and hit the ball hard, and free up both sides of the wicket because of the way he's balanced at the crease. So one game might just change everything because of just by the technical mindset and the technical way he's batting at the minute, looked really looked absolute chalk and cheese from where he's been for the last 18 months. Right, so let's move on to Jofra Archer, the other massive story for, for England. Um, and uh, before we talk about his performance in the first game, I, I have to confess that one of the great misreads of my career... There's me thinking how lonely uh, the rehabilitation would have been, the training, how uh, he would have been all by himself for 18 months and uh, how lonely it would have been. And uh, <laughs> what a mystery. This was what Joffre Archer, how he described his time away from the game. Yeah, there's no reason to look back. You know, I've, I've done my time and I'm here now. So that's the, the most important thing. To be honest, I had the best time. 
being injured. As I said, you know, I had stuff to keep me going. My friends, my family, gym. So, you know, I'm not upset at all. I don't think I wasted any days as well when it was injured. So I'm happy. That's Jofra Archer talking about his time away from the uh, international game. And I have to say, Harmy, he makes uh, being injured sound um, quite appealing. Yeah, he does. It's, it wouldn't have been better than that sort of holiday brochure at the bottom of the, you know, bottom of the five-star five-star hotel. And I think if Jofra had given that answer to a sensational ho- uh, Barbados hotel, then I think you'd get a lot of uh, a flock of people trying to be injured for for eighteen months. And I and and I don't take that in any way as though he's enjoyed being out. Not one bit. The comments that he's made leading into this this one-day series about being injured. I think he's just trying to prove to people that, from a mindset point of view, he hasn't been affected too much about it. Behind the scenes, I think he'll have been desperate to play cricket. But he's also, with the thing, this that's the thing I love about him. Um, I had something similar when my outlook was that cricket's not everything in your life. It's what you get paid for and it's your job and it's what you're good at. But you can't, unfortunately, from a fast bowler's point of view, you're going to get injured. And if you get injured and you let it affect you mentally, then when you come back physically and mentally, you will not be at it. You'll not have the right mindset. You have to be able to switch on and switch off. And some people, when you switch off, they feel as though you don't care, you're not interested. And Joffrey gets that quite a bit. So when I when I've seen them quotes and heard what he said I could relate to what he's saying because he's going well I can't do anything about being injured that's my body this is the job I have to do when I come back I'll be ready and be ready to go and I think that was probably what he was he's trying to allude to and he's had some good time off forced because his body wouldn't let him but when he came back on on Friday I was pleased he had a struggle not a struggle I'm pleased he had to work for his 10 overs because if he had come back 2 for 30 two for 30, two for 30, and kept going and breezed back into the game. And when the pressure situation, knockout stages, big tournament, he hadn't been challenged too much. He got to the ashes, hadn't been challenged too much. Then I think then there might have been a, yeah, a few issues. But now he's been challenged coming straight back in. Then he'll work them out a lot quicker and he will be a lot, he'll, his performance will get better a lot sooner. And there was times the other night and no ball, a wide, bang, Yorker, nailed, even in the 10th over of the of, the, of his innings. So, for me, I was pleased the way he bowled the other night, even though he went for 81 off his 10. Okay, just a very quick word on uh, Harry Brook. Um, it sounded so ridiculous on commentary, saying uh, here he is making his debut, and he's a T20 World Cup winner, and he's played a starring role in a 3-0 Test Series win in Pakistan. Um, so he was just ridiculously good. But actually, I wanted to uh, um, get your comments on Ollie Stone. I don't think that uh, there'd be any higher praise uh, than him being compared to the role that Liam Plunkett used to play in the ODI side. Yeah, that, absolutely. He's he's different to Liam Plunkett. He's got a similar sort of pace. He's looking to hit the deck hard. Liam bowled from a higher release point. Ollie's, he's, a, he's still a tall man, but he collapses a little bit at the crease. A little bit more skiddier than than what Liam is, but at the end of the day, that's the role that they need somebody to play, which is to try and force a wicket in that middle period, bowling quickly. And I thought, I think Ollie Stone's bowl. Do you know what Ollie Stone? Every time he plays for England, he's not letting England down. Arguably, every time he plays for whoever he's played for, whether it be Northampton, Warwickshire, and now going to Notts, he doesn't let teams down. Problem that Ollie's got, he needs to put a run of games together, and that is. Is when you look at Ollie Stone, I, I was sitting in the pub the other day. We were watching the we were watching the end of the game and talking about how well Ollie Stone bowled. And when I said he's nearly thirty, three or four of the lads and just nearly fell off the chair. They were like, "No, he's not." And I was like, "He is. Nearly thirty year old. He's been around quite a while." And that is something that tells you his body just hasn't been up to performing for long periods of time. And hopefully, now he is getting close to thirty. And he can put a run of games together because he's he's got ability. The problem is he's just body has let him down and he hasn't had a run of games which he can he can really say right this England place is mine because he can't literally he hasn't been able to do it. But from a performance point of view, he's been excellent. 
I was going to ask you about Moe and Ali and his role in the team, but we've run out of time in this section. Maybe we can squeeze it in in, in part three. Um, anyway, a reminder, you can hear uh, if England can salvage some pride in the series against South Africa here on TalkSport 2 on Wednesday, we'll be bringing you exclusive live ball-by-ball -ball commentary of the third ODI from 10.30 uh, in the morning. That's when we start our build-up. Um, you're listening now to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England and high felt Lions bowler, Steve Harmison. Next up, we'll focus on South Africa and their qualification hopes, uh, which are now truly alive. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available, as always, via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk a little bit about South Africa then. They needed to win this series 2-1 and then win their last two Super League games against the Netherlands in order to avoid having to pre-qualify. It was a massive, massive second game for them, chasing 340. I still think there's a possibility that they might need to win the third game as well and then beat the Netherlands, just in case something goes wrong against the Netherlands. It's right at the end of the South African summer, those two games. It could rain. They could lose. They, they have a history of losing to the Netherlands. So I think the Kimberley game is really important for them. But Harmi, the reason I thought South Africa would be beaten by England is I just thought they were in such a fragile place mentally. They haven't had time to process that departure from the G20 World Cup in Adelaide at the end of last year. Um, I, I don't think... I think the criticism as symbolised by the, the things that have been said on social media in particular about Temba Bavuma uh, and the way that they have brought themselves together, the, the leadership shown by Bavuma especially. And I mean, there's a difference between leadership and captaincy, as you know. His captaincy on the field was outstanding, but his leadership and his influence was, was extraordinary. And I, I, you know, I'm still processing the fact that, uh, that South Africa have, have managed to, to come back and uh, lay the fears at the moment anyway that they might have to go to Harare and, and play Scotland and Ireland and the Netherlands in order to get to the World Cup. Well, to be fair, if they have to go to Harare and qualify now, yeah, they deserve not to go to the World Cup in India in October, November because the way they've played in these two games when they needed to win, the chips are down against arguably one of the best teams in the world and the way they've performed has been 
has been fantastic. You talk about Mavuma's leadership. His battle in the second game was was sensational. And it took somebody to put their hand up each time. Unric Nokia in the first game. How how Nokia didn't get him out of the match in that first game was just baffling to me. But he, he completely changed the con. You know, the, the way that game was in that first game. And then Bavuma's leadership, but also his batting quality to stand up in that second game, along with the experience of Miller to see South Africa over the line. If they, you know, Even if they get beat in Kimberley and they, they go to, into the Holland game and have to win all three, the way this team's performed in these two games, you'd think they should easily look after, after Holland and, and go through not a problem at all. I think they've got a, not an embarrassment of riches. They've got a ridiculous bowling lineup. But I watched Marco Janssen back in that second game and go, where was he in the first game? What happened to, why is this kid not playing top level international cricket for South Africa in every format you can get it? He's got a release point of over two metres. You know, he's not a bad mover for somebody who's eight foot four. And his batting is just, his batting is sensational. He's a, he bought he, along with David Miller at the end of that second game. I'm not sure England get over. I'm not sure England would have gotten over the line if if it had been the, the other way around with Wokes or Curran coming in. So again, you scratch your head about South African cricket. You how are you in this position? Why are you in in the conversation with Harari? But it seems sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. And let's see if South Africa do go that one step back in the game at Kimberley because. Everything's in a line at this minute in time and they should go into Kimberley and thinking, right, we can win this 3-0. And by the time we get to the Holland series, Harari's not shouldn't even be in the equation. We always make the difference between red ball and white ball cricket and we lump white ball cricket into one set of brackets. And Bafuma is just uh, living proof of how different T20 cricket is to 50-over cricket. You know, He's not a T20 player, really. He doesn't really have a, a natural power game. And yet in 50 over cricket, Harmy, and this not nearly enough has been made of this, especially by South Africans. Could you just have a look at his record, please? In 50 over cricket, 21 innings, three hundreds, two nineties, an average of 46. I mean, let's hear from him, actually, because um, he doesn't show emotion very often at all. And when he does, he quickly reins it in again. But this is what he said after a very emotional celebration after he reached that 100. Probably one of my better knocks um, in my international career. It was a good wicket, so I think that also quite helped a bit. Um, quite emotional, quite satisfactory as well. You pointed to the name on your back and, and then you, you beat your chest. Is that, my name's Bafuma and I've got a big heart? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go with that. Um, like I said, it was quite emotional. Um, I never planned that, sep- that um, celebration. I guess for me it was just to remind myself, probably everyone, that I do deserve to be in this team. But yeah, it was quite emotional. That's Teba Bavuma, and he even makes it sound like he's making the mistake of lumping T20 cricket together with 50-over cricket because he's talking about uh, proving that he deserves his place in the team. He certainly deserves his place in the 50-over team. He's one of the top batters. Yeah, how can your captain feel as though he doesn't deserve a place in the team at Bunkers? And well, saying that, he did a celebration like a, a bloke who probably was captain of a team who didn't deserve to be in the team. And that was that's what we saying all them years ago. The only thing Temba didn't do was give the, the commentary box the bird. He didn't give him the two-finger salute. But to his back, I, mean, I mentioned the name and the number on his back, but he didn't give the salute of the two fingers towards, I think it was Bob Willis and Jonathan Agnew, at the time in 2002 when Nasser was talked about being one-day captain. And, and that is... Unfortunately, that's what happens when you're leader of a team who's not performing and not going well. That's what's happened with Bavuma. And I don't understand, Manners, why it seems to be that when Bavuma scores runs, he should score runs. And when he doesn't score runs and South Africa get beat, no matter how many poor shots, how many bad decisions that other 10 players make, Bavuma seems to be the one that everybody wants to whack with a stick. And he wants they want to have a go at him and say he shouldn't be in the team or he shouldn't believe in the team either. You know what's written on the top of Josh Butler's bat handle? Those two words. So that is a reminder to him to cut loose and and just to say 
never mind the con don't worry about the consequences and and that was the button that Chamber Bavuma pressed before that second game or during that second game and that to me is the button that South African cricketers at World Cup events haven't been able to press they haven't had the confidence and the belief and the courage to press that button to throw not caution to the wind but you know what I mean just to say look it's a game. It is, after all, a game of cricket. You look at the South African team, as you can look, and you go back, go back as far as you like to 1992, when they played in their first World Cup. Every team that's failed, I think, has lacked a little bit of killer instinct in the big games. No team scored more 400s than South Africa in ODI cricket. But in the big games, and this was a big game with World Cup qualification at stake, and Bavuma has just gone, I've heard enough. I've had enough. Do, do you agree? I mean, you look at that. I mean, we're talking to Cock at the top of the order, Bavuma, Fella Dustin, Klaassen, Markram. David Miller is actually, actually one of the great ODI cricketers of, of modern times. And a bowling attack have been Gidi, Nokia, Rabada. But somehow they need to push that button, homie. Yeah, it just seems as though we're waiting for it. It's like the tournament before has shut the marker down for the tournament that's coming next. Always the tournament before there is a monumental blow-up which ends South Africa's participation in that tournament. There's many times, you, you, go through, you probably can go through the whole lot. Whenever you talked about favourites in the tournament, you got to a knockout stages. South Africa will be second, third favourite, second favourite. And then all of a sudden you're going, where did that come from? And they talk about the choking situations and everything that goes with that. And it just seems as though the whole World Cup, the whole knockout tournament, the stars are aligning for us. We are going to play unbelievable cricket to a point, and then we are going to make a, a monumental mistake to exit this tournament. And that is something that they need to get over before anything else, because I think that going into any World Cup from now on, I'd be heading that. I'd be I'd be wanting to head that off. You know, cut that off its source and basically say what's happened before. Before us has got nothing to do with what we are about to achieve. And I think the quicker they can get that uh, monkey off their back, then the better that South Africa will be going forward. Because when you look at the talent that South Africa have got, they've decided to go against picking the younger players and the likes of Brewers and Stubbs and one or two others because of, and people are asking why are they not picking, yeah, even, even David Bellingham and Mickey Arthur, they've got some ridiculously talented young players. Why are they not picking them? They're, in, they're potentially going to go to Harare and qualify. You're thinking, well, we're not picking them because these ones that are in the team are actually better than them. We, we've got some you know, fantastic players. But it just seems as though they don't, there doesn't seem to be a, an ability to play together in these last two games because of the pressure situation they were in. They have been able to play together. And I think that is something that has to be a starting point for the new coach coming in. Okay, very quickly, Moen Ali, one of your favourite cricketers, one of many people's favourite cricketers. I don't know whether 50 over cricket is his favourite format anymore. Uh, I just wonder whether he might be better off. I don't know. I mean, uh, he was asked whether he enjoyed 50 over cricket and there was a long pause before his answer. And he said, do you want my honest opinion? And we said, well, yes, yes, please. He said, uh, I like batting in it, but he's not enjoying his bowling. He thinks it's unfair. Um, the You know, the, the things are aligned against spinners. I mean, look, he had a sort of whimsical smile on his face, but I, I'm just not 100% certain that, that his heart is completely in it. Yeah, that was a little bit concerning when you, you read that, you heard Moen say that, because be, when he fell out of love with Test cricket, he might, he might as well have dropped, dropped him there and then because he didn't want to play Test cricket. You could see he was struggling with what Test cricket was all about and he wanted to move on to, to the shortest format of the game. For me, Mo and Ali is one of the best cricketers we've produced in the last 25 years. All-round cricket, especially his conduct as well. I shout him from the rooftops because I think he's he has been so good for our game. But it seems that when Moen gets him in a mindset of when he's struggling, he doesn't want to play that, that part of the game, then I think we should quickly look at moving on. And I'm not saying we should be dropping Mo and Ali because the comments that I've just heard, Mo and Ali... I think Mo and Ali's potentially dropping himself because 
He's saying he doesn't like bowling in the in, in fifty over cricket. He doesn't like fielding in fifty over cricket. He probably just wants to play twenty twenty cricket franchises around the world. The age he's at and the the amount of cricket that he's played, fifty overs has become a little bit of a chore to him. And whether that he is one of these bracketed cricketers that is a tournament player from now on, can England afford to have too many of them tournament players? Because you look at Ben Stokes is going to have to be a tournament player. I don't know. We might have just got Mo on a bad day. Yeah, that I hope that is the case because I wouldn't want to see an England team over the course of the next however many months play with a, a disgruntled Mo and Ali in 50 over cricket because as we've seen in test cricket, a disgruntled Mo and Ali is, is no good to anybody. Not even, and the biggest thing, he's no good to Mo either. So hopefully it was just a, a bad interview on a bad afternoon um, because England certainly need Mo and Ali, but they need the proper Mo and Ali. And if Mo's given up on 50 over cricket, then I think Moen needs to make a decision for himself. As I said, he did have a smile on his face. Maybe it was. <laughs> maybe he was just tired. He looked very tired. Anyway, a reminder we'll bring you live and exclusive ball by ball commentary of the third ODI between South Africa and England from the Diamond Oval in Kimberley as the Proteas look for a clean sweep. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and two time county championship winner Steve Harmison. Lots to crack on with in part four. Um, Matthew Mott has uh, again left the door open for Ben Stokes to unretire from uh, ODIs. Joss Butler also a couple of days ago was talking about England uh, planning um, without uh, Ben Stokes in mind. He said uh, we, that's the way we have to plan, but then very quickly added, but if he wants to unretire, we'll welcome him back with open arms. And we still think, don't we, Harmy? I've always thought from the moment, from the very day that he retired from ODI cricket, I thought he'd be back for the World Cup. Yeah, I think he'll be back for the World Cup if England decide to manage his schedule. It's interesting that he dropped the schedule into social media when talking about this ODI side and it, you know, the defeats that they've had and the way that 50 over cricket is. I think if Rob Key, Matthew Martin, and Joss Butler planning for that 50 over World Cup, along with Brendan McCullum uh, as test match coach, if they turn around to Ben Stokes and said, right, at the end of the Ashes, on the 1st of August, you will not play again until, you know, competitively, you will we'll not play again until the World Cup comes around in October or November, then I think Ben Stokes will unretire and play 50 over cricket. I think if he's meant to play 100 and he's meant to play in, and that is in the terms and conditions for him to come back, and I don't think you'll go to the 50 over World Cup and play. So I think it's about being managed. I think if the manager right, I think you'll get Ben Stokes to play in the 50 over World Cup. I'm not saying it's the, it's a game changer for England if Ben does play or he doesn't play. But I look at this side and the way now 50 over cricket is going, you need Ben Stokes because he balances the side out first and foremost. And then if you look at the, the last two big tournaments that we've had, if we didn't have Ben Stokes, we wouldn't have won it. We wouldn't have won that in 19 and we wouldn't have won the T20 World Cup in, in Australia. So for me, that's why they have to somehow work out the schedule to make sure Ben Stokes is in the 15-man party going to India. And that would be, for me, once he's finished the Ashes, give him a break and get him ready for October, November for the World Cup. Right, let's remind ourselves of what England's white ball coach Matthew Mott actually said about uh, about the subject. At the moment, he's not committal. I think he's, he's certainly prepared for a test series. I think he'll just seek how things pan out. His body pans out. He's obviously also got the IPL. And we'll just keep an open mind. And the door is always open for a player of that quality. Um, but we're also you know, very aware that his, his main focus is, is red ball cricket as, as the captain. And we'll respect that when he's, when he's ready to chat. We'll do that. It's Matthew Mott talking uh, about Ben Stokes' ODI career. Um, on a different subject, Alex Hales um, is set to miss England's T20 series against Bangladesh in March. The ECB have said that he can play in the PSL, the Pakistan Super League. Two ways of looking at that. Um, administrators uh, ceding control of, uh, of their players is one way. The other way is to say, you know what, Alex, thank you very much for filling in uh, at the last T20 World Cup. Uh, you did a great job, and we we're very grateful for 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 that. But it was only a temporary measure. We've got Johnny Bairstow you know, to to come back. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that too cynical? Yeah, I think a little bit. I'm I'm normally the cynical one, man. I'm normally the one that looks at it from 
from that point of view. I also look at it, I think it's it's quite good management as well. When you look, if we think about it, really, the if the World Cup in India in October, November was T20, then no way is Alex Hills going to play in the Pakistan Super League. But England brought him in last minute for the 50 over World Cup, for the 20 over World Cup when Johnny gets injured. England didn't give him a contract. England haven't got full control over him. And in the, the time that he had his sabbatical, he wasn't involved in English cricket. He played a hell of a lot of cricket in Pakistan. And that, for me, I don't have an issue with Alex Shields. I don't think it's the end of Alex Shields. I think he will come back and play T20 cricket. I just think the next major tournament's a little bit away. And Alex Shields has played more franchise cricket than international cricket over the course of the last four or five years. I think because of that, I would not say I would give him the option, but I would be having a one-to-one conversation with him and and talking to him about what he has been doing for four years as opposed to what he's going to be doing the next sort of four or five months. And I don't have an issue with him missing this the Bangladesh series because of he is a one-off because of the way he came into the group. He has been making his money around the world where England cricketers have been making their money playing for England around the world. And I think if he's got a bigger paycheck, he possibly has earned the right by winning the World Cup with England and the way he performed to go and get in that bigger paycheck rather than go to Bangladesh for three T20s. Okay, another subject, uh, news topic that uh, is doing the rounds at the moment is Mickey Arthur and his uh, and the pursuit of him by the PCB, Pakistan Cricket Board. I think three times now Mickey has said no Uh, I can't come back, much as I'd love to, but um, I'm committed to Derbyshire. I've got a long-term contract with Derbyshire, and um, and I'm not leaving them. And I, you know, I've made a commitment, and I'm and I'm not coming back. And the PCB have come back with another offer, and another offer, and a counter offer. And the latest one is, um, well, you can be our director of cricket online. You can stay with Derbyshire, and you can run our game from your laptop. That's not going to work, is it? No, it just seems in it's been, and I tell you what, man, it's been brilliant to have Mickey. His insight on the game, his enthusiasm for the game was, even in just in two one day nationals, sit next to him and come to him was was fantastic. It was brilliant to have him in talk sport in the building and and talking about the game of the great game of cricket we all love. Um, and he he made it blatantly obvious that his time of international cricket at this minute is has been put to one side because he loves working with Derbyshire and he's his challenge is 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 being evident that county cricket is something that he wants to he wants to build a, a platform for Derbyshire moving forward. It just seems that the next the next phone call you'll have from the PCB is if Mickey will you coach us if we play all our games in Derbyshire. Honestly <laughs> that is the next step. Pakistan cricket mode next step is going to take Mickey Arthur out of the equation Ring the Pakistan, I mean, ring the Derbyshire chief executive and say, right, we're gonna, we've got a series coming up, and if we play three tests and three one days in Derbyshire, have we have <laughs> can we have Mickey as coach? It just seems as though they want their man. It's like we're you know with transfer deadline, dear, you you want your man who you've been chasing for thirty days of the thirty one days of the transfer window, and on the thirty first day, we are literally going to say, right, we'll buy him. But you can keep him for your you can keep him for your team. We just want to see him in one of our shirts. It's getting to a, a point now. It's desperation stages, and it just shows you how good of a man Mickey Arthur is. Because I think after one or two of them offers, so a lesser man would have gone double it, treble it, times it by ten, and I will come from a contract point of view. Um, but Mickey's no, he's a man of his word. He's sticking to Derbyshire, and good on him for it. Indeed, so. <laughs> Yes, um, that's a, a great, a lovely thought. Now then, the England Lions uh, lost by four wickets to the Sri Lankan board 11. But uh, I dare say that the all that really matters is the the style of cricket that they're playing. Alex Lee scored a, a belting 100. At least the scorecard suggests it was a belting 100. And they are playing. They, they were scoring at six and over at one point, England. And it's all that's about. That's what it's about, isn't it? No, I mean, that really is an inconsequential result. They're playing basketball. Yeah, and that's, that for me is refreshing. The water, these young players want to get into the England team. How do you get into the England team? It just seems as though you play, you play a brand of cricket, which is not careless, carefree, and 
you know, you you go out and you you take the positive outcome by expressing yourself. And there's been some good stuff in that. You know, a couple of fifties for players in the middle order. Alex Lee's got a Alex Lee's got a wonderful hundred, which tells you uh, as much as he got moved out of the the Test match side. I think Alex Lee's has gone in and and gone right. I'm going to show you I can bat at a decent rate and a decent lick, and he's he's done that. So good for him. Um, and I'm not saying he throws his hat back into the ring, but if he gets another two or three hundreds on this trip and then goes to Durham and gets you know three hundreds before that that first Ashes Test, if there's an injury pressure situation, Alex Lee's has played Test cricket. He would be a, a good option if he's in form. So that's a good thing to see. Young Matt Fisher, seen he came off during that first game, which was disappointing because you're thinking, oh no, here we go again. But then in the in the in the game that is currently going on at the minute, he just took like five to thirty nine bowled Strankin team out for one forty. So it was good to see that even though he did go off with a, a little bit of an injury, Matt Fisher's come back and he's took five wickets, which is for me is is brilliant to see because I think he is a fine, fine young bowler. And if he puts a run together a little bit like Ollie Stone, he's a little bit younger than Ollie Stone. I think he's got the potential to play a lot of cricket for England. And finally, before we run out of time, news coming uh, from Manchester. Lancashire have signed New Zealanders Daryl Mitchell and Colin de Grandon for the uh, championship in the T20 Blast, respectively. And Keaton Jennings has replaced uh, a very successful Dane Villas as uh, Lancashire captain. Yeah, that's, I think, the next progression for Keaton was to go and take on a a county left Durham had to. There was no choice, you know, from a financial strength point of view. And Durham were relegated, so he's took the challenge. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He's an educated young man, thinks about the game, loves the game. Some would say obsessed by the game. Um, he's got big shoes to fill in Dan Vallas because Dan had a, a wonderful tenureship at at, uh, at Lancashire. It's a big county, and I think keeping it on subcontinent tours, he seems to be a Horses for courses pick when England go into India, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh. Um, if he goes with leadership qualities next time, um, he might just get the nod ahead of uh, uh, at the top of the order when when England do go that part of the world again. Two very very fine cricketers in in Mitchell and De Grandhomme, the blokes who play the game the right way, who understand the game, who don't seem to get phased by too much high when things go well and disappointment doesn't get them at rock bottom. That's what seems to be the characteristics of New Zealand cricketers. Um, and when you when you see that, that's what you want in county cricket because of the schedule and the way things are played. So I think two very, very good signs for Lancashire. And uh, Ireland have another test match coming up. Uh, an all-format series against Bangladesh in April has uh, been announced. Um, and it's the first time that uh, Ireland will play a test match in four years. And finally, finally, Hamid will be doing lots more on uh, England's two-test series against uh, New Zealand coming up. Um, but um, it's a long way to go for sure. us. I'm delighted to say that uh, we're both going to be there. And and you know what? It is a long way to go. Um, but TalkSport 2 will be carrying ball-by-ball commentary on those two test matches. And I, I imagine that uh, the level of excitement that we've got about seeing England play test cricket is like boxing fans in the 1970s watching Muhammad Ali. I can't wait. No, I can't wait. It's going to be a, a fantastic series once we actually get there. The England boys went the right way around and got there in 37 hours. Um, and we're going the other way around, which could take a hell of a lot more. I'm thinking I'm thinking possibly three hangovers by the time I get to New Zealand. Um, I don't know about you, Manners, and which way you going, but it's hard. John Norman likes a drink when he flies, but Tell you what, he could be in some trouble when he gets off the plane in New Zealand at the other end. Our boss, um, and Sam Allard being the same, he could, he, yeah, it could be interesting. I don't think he's actually flying with me, which is not a bad thing for Sam. So, it's going to be great. Honestly, two Test matches, the way this team's playing, to bring them live and exclusive on Talksport too. Um, I'm really, really looking forward to both games. Yep, Mount Manganui, here we come. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Ethel, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed, now available via the free TalkSport app. 
or wherever else you get your podcasts. And we'll be back at the same time next week. We'll be joined by England women's head coach John Lewis to build up to the start of the T20 World Cup in South Africa. But for now, this has been another edition of the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.